Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at the four major time frame windows for investing. Working out what's right for you is going to be very different from the next person. We'll explore some of the pluses and minuses of four very different approaches to investing to help you choose the best fit for you. See you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Suits Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my co-host and offsider, Mitchell Lorenzo. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Now, as timely as that beautiful jacket is, by the way, we're going to apply that to the stock market today. Uh, had some questions, interestingly enough, from a prospective client of ours, knowing, uh, wanting to know, excuse me, the four different styles or types of investing mm. and trading and whether or not now's the right time to be doing one of those. Very good. Yeah, nice little Brioni number, getting ready for my trip to Italy in the next couple of weeks. So I'm jealous. We I am jealous. There we go. I don't know if it may not fit me around the waste by the time I get back. That's but, okay. So we shall see. So yeah, is the t- now the right time to get investing? And look, quite frankly, we could almost cut the entire podcast and sum it up that the answer is yes, it's always the right time to be investing. But you know, everyone's got their own particular set of lenses to look through. And there are so many different approaches, I think, that you can take uh, take to uh, um, how you decide what to do and when to do it. So let's dive into that. Probably four categories of investment groups we can get into and explore the yes. uh, benefits and weaknesses of all of them. Before we do that, AB, can I just get a bit of a grasp on knowing thyself. So how does how does someone looking to invest their money understand where the right game is for them? Because there are yeah. so many different games, really. That, that's, that's a great question. And uh, we uh, haven't been in the sort of vanguard of, of financial literacy now for you know, a couple of decades. Not all investing, not all profit, not all return is the same. Uh, and I think one of the missing steps for so many people, they're mad keen to to get into the world of investing, taking a few minutes or, or longer to really work out what your goal and objective is, just like any anything in, in, in a goal and objective kind of scenario, take the time to really work out what your goal is and most importantly, why you've chosen that as your goal and the outcome you want from it. So everybody wants to make money, or most people do that will be following this podcast, I'm sure. But not all types of profit are the same. Is it income? Is it capital growth? Is it leveraged? Is it speculative? Is it short term? Is it long term? Is it passive? These are all questions to to really ask as you start to work out, I guess, what your mojo is as an investor. How much time do you have to invest? Because that's going to determine the kind of strategy that you're going to pick. So it's all right saying, look, I want to make money from the stock market. Okay, well, how much time do you have to put in? Uh, Number two, what sort of skill set do you have? Are you a blank canvas? And if you are, that can actually be great. Some of the best traders I've had the privilege of teaching over the last 22 years have been people that have come in with a blank canvas and no bad habits to work through. What's your tolerance to risk, for example, which will start to determine the kind of approach you're going to take? How much working capital do you have? And, and these are all pivotal questions to ask. It's almost kind of like a, a mini fact find that you'd see in the financial planning space to to work out a bit more about who you are and what you want. So yeah, you want to be an investor. You might have, say, 20, 30 grand to work with. Uh, you, you're not conservative and you're not too uh, happy to have a shot at anything. You're somewhere in the middle of the road. And, 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 and like most people, if this becomes a priority, you can find time, but you can't find eight hours a day. So there's an example of how the board may be laid out for you. Once you've done that work, you can then start to, to, to shape up picking picking the right kind of strategy. Also, you know, how interested in this are you? Because I'll be right honest, as someone that's you know, been in the trading space now for you know, over 30 years, it's not actually that interesting. Well, everyone's got an interest in making money. Not everyone's got an interest in the stock yeah. market, right? It, it's just a process. And once you've worked that process out, the game is you versus yourself to absolutely optimize that process. That's the real game. So, yeah, there's a lot to learn. And and, and certainly for people that know, it can be quite exciting. Otherwise, it's just a, a, you know, you ask a good trader, how do you feel when you've banked a really big profit? You go, oh, yeah pretty happy about that. You ask a great trader how you feel about banking a really good profit and 
they say no different to yesterday because it's just par for the course. But anyone listening to this who's interested in that field too should listen to our trading psychology mm. podcast we did some while ago. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. That was a cracking episode. Mm. It is uh, very, very important getting that psychology right. So yeah, spend a bit of time you know, with a sheet of paper, work out what your goals and objectives are and why. Um, and, uh, and then you can start to go from there. So on that basis, you know, knowing yourself and what you're about, you can then probably start to choose the sorts of strategies that may or may not work for you. So let's say you've got no skill and no time. Choosing day trading is probably not the best option. Yet so many people, uh, I see companies advertise you know, in social, you know, we'll teach you to become a day trader. Number one, and I'm not having done that and done it successfully, I've also run a day trading uh, business probably 20 years ago. Um, not many people are successful at day trading. Uh, for, for a number of reasons, you know, requires immense consistency in what you're doing, hugely robust trading psychology to go, okay, that's the signal, take it, as opposed to that's the signal, okay, well, let's just give it a little bit longer to see, the trade's already done its thing. Um, notwithstanding that, you know, it, you, you've got to pick the right market that works for you too. And, you know, I certainly had a couple of markets that were my go-tos. I used to love trading the DAX uh, over in Germany there. Um, you know, it used to have a really nice opening range and you could trade that quite effectively. Um, but that's a specialist skill to know that that's the market. So you do need some level of skill there. But 98% of day traders lose money. And so if you're getting into a line of business where before you start, 98% of people fail, the probability of success for you is pretty low before you get started. Add to that then the amount of time that you need to put into it, um, it, it's, it becomes a challenge. Yet for a lot of people, there's a cachet, oh, I'm a day trader, it sounds really exciting. Oh, I trade the market, so I make this free money every day. From That's the cachet that goes alongside it. And the reality is really quite different. You know, you're sitting at home on your own, probably in your pajamas, uh, in front of your computer screen for half the day. Um, yeah, that's actually not that glamorous. That's not like the adverts you see where people are sitting on a super yacht flying around the world first class and driving umpteen sports cars while they go Rolex shopping. That's not the reality of what it is for people, but that's what they buy. Well, I mean, in reality, it's a full-time gig. And as you say, the odds are stacked against you. Mm. So if you are looking at getting into day trading AB and you're happy mm. to develop the skill set to be able to comfortably give it a go, mm. would you say now's the right time to be doing it? Oh, the great thing about the conditions right now is you've got volatility and movement, which is a day trader is the key thing. We, we, we've got a... Um, We'll, we'll get him. I've got a, a really good buddy of mine, um, quite a famous trader for the wrong reasons. Um, going back in the in the in the sort of mid early nineties during my sort of time in London, uh, and he's, he's he's he day trades now, uh, but he's not a floor trader. So he's got his particular approach, uh, and he's all about trading that opening movement in the market each day, and, and particularly loves volatility. You have to have price movement um, if you want to day trade. There's no point being in something that's really tight and range bound. So, to answer your question, and the current conditions of volatility. Um, yeah, it's a good time to day trade, but it's always a good time to day trade. You just got to have the right strategy uh, and, and, and spending the time building that out and then executing it and having the self-discipline to walk away going, yep, today is not the day. It's not setting up as opposed to, oh, just give it a bit longer. Maybe it might set up. I haven't had a trade for three days, got bills to pay. Um, let's see how this one goes. You, can, you can't approach it with that. You've got to be ruthless in terms of your self-discipline. And again, yeah, there aren't that many people that carry that level of mental fortitude. No, it's almost a trade, let's take it. That's that's not how day trading works. It is or it isn't. You're pregnant or you're not. It's a day trade or it's not. Simple as that. There's no no gray areas in there. And that rules a lot of people out from a suitability perspective, notwithstanding the time commitment and notwithstanding the fact that it does require a good level of specialist skill. No gray areas, but a few gray hairs, I can assume, <laughs> on day trading. So moving forward, AB, to maybe 
um, uh, quadrant number two would be mm. active trading. Yeah. What are the pros and cons, and it would now right now be the time to be doing that? Yeah, from an active trading perspective, what are we talking about here? And I mean, it's really hard to put a sort of brackets around something and say, this is the timeline that we're defined by this. Active trading, typically, it's not a day trade for one. So a day trade, just for the sake of the definition I didn't provide before, is where you're in and out of a trade in the same day, the same trading session. Active trading might be where you're in something for maybe two, three days, maybe a week or even 10 days, but a fairly short term type trade. And typically with those sorts of scenarios, you're looking for maybe a breakout uh, or, or a uh, or a key reversal in markets to use two of the technical terms. And effectively what you're looking for is something that's, let's call it a smash and grab. So something that's been moving along and it suddenly pops one way or the other and you're looking to get in it, take a little bit of the easy money out over the next X period of time and then that's it. It's not something you're intending to hold till Christmas. It's something that's in, out, done, gone. Um, so that's a little bit more about active active trading. So longer time frame than day trading, but very much not investing. Okay, well, in terms of active trading, Amy, mm. it's been a pretty tough market to pick over the mm. last you know six or eight months or so. Mm. How, for anyone who's looking to be an active trader, what would you suggest as your key strategy or at least key considerations? Probably one of my most favourite ones, certainly at the moment, and I've, you know, I've, I've traded all of the quadrants that we're, we're going to run through. We're into number two now, of course. Probably at the moment, one that's working quite nicely, uh, that sits perfectly in the active trading space, is trading volatility. So, yeah, we've been in a bearish market for you know, the best part of six, seven months now, uh, and that may well continue. It may well not. Um, but what has become very apparent is the market's inherently more volatile. Um, you know, people are seeing bad news and reacting to it um, fairly quickly and fairly aggressively. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's, it's volatile conditions. So rather than try and pick a trade where I'm looking at an individual stock or a sector or an index where I've got to get the direction right and it might only be right for a couple of days, you know, you look like a hero for five minutes and then a fool for the rest of the day. Um, I've been trading volatility. So how do you trade something? Because, you know, if you talk about BHP shares, well, BHP is the company over there and that's your little slice of the cake that's BHP. So you, volatility is a little harder because it's effectively it's a derivative. Um, there's no, here's some volatility for you. Um, <laughs> so the way we do this, we can approach it in a lot of different ways. Options are always going to be my preferred uh, vehicle purely and simply because that's that's what I've traded for 30 years. But using some of the ETFs in that space, exchange traded funds have probably opened the door to being able to trade more specialist type circumstances, such as higher volatility to retail investors. Yeah, there are limits. Um, you know, you've got to have. You know, it's a, it's, it's a complex or leveraged financial product, so you've got to pass a suitability test to do it, which is not that hard. But nonetheless. Trading volatility, where you might be in the position for, you know, you're in at, you know, at lower levels and you're literally looking to hold the thing for, you know, 5, 10, 15 days as it goes through its cycle. You wash out, you can either short it if you're sophisticated enough to do that or look for your trap to re reset again um, is, is a good example of, of that. And it's a, it's a pretty high probability trade at the moment because really, you know, if you're a layperson looking at what's going on in the economy or in, across markets, we've got high inflation rising interest rates, falling consumer confidence, very, very strong job market, high energy prices, um, to all intents and purposes, a possible tip into a recession. Companies coming under earnings pressure uh, and geopolitical tensions plus COVID. You know, we can throw the kitchen sink in there in terms of some of the factors that are sitting in the backdrop for markets now. Um, and any one of those 
has got the capacity to push volatility up through the roof. The opposite side of the coin is a very pleasantly trending higher bull market, which quite frankly, I can't see happening over the next three or four months, lending itself to this kind of strategy. So there's a good example of an active approach to trading. That's awesome, AB. And if we just expand that time frame a little longer into mm. the third quadrant, which would be active investing. Mm. So somewhat of the same, albeit mm. slightly different instruments, maybe more in the ETF space and slightly longer time frames, yeah, right? Yeah, certainly, certainly longer time frames. And I think that's the distinction um, between um, trading and investing is probably the time frame. And also when you start to upskill, um, yeah, because that trade we just talked about in volatility is actually quite a high high level skill set required to be Absolutely. able to do it. Um, if you're trading in the short term day trading or active active trading, you know, a lot of reading the charts, the technical side of the markets become very, very important because the timing on the trade is crucial. As you start to make the move further down the line time-wise, fundamentals become a little bit more important um, because you're trading a longer term view. Uh, and what, what do you mean by fundamentals just for our so listeners, AB? That's a good question. So either news flow or Events, I think, is probably where I've made my money, particularly over the last six or seven months, is event-based trading, where there's something going on and there's a, a mechanism behind which you can then profit. So you know, an example of that would be, say, the war in the Ukraine, uh, which caused a major disruption to grain production when it, when it first kicked off. Uh, and you saw wheat prices based on trading an ETF going from you know, $8 to 13, 14 bucks. So there's a fundamental issue, a war in a grain growing part of the world with you know, trade sanctions against Russia, another grain growing part of the world, uh, which had an immediate and direct impact on price. Um, but that price move was over you know, two or three months. It wasn't over two or three days. So what we've done is actually sort of opened the aperture a little bit and we're looking at a bigger time frame, but still active in terms of looking for, I guess, an event or a case for that trade. Uh, another example of that would be interest rates and the rising interest rate cycle. And we've been panned. You know, we started talking about this a year ago, saying rates are going to be going up and people called us a whole raft of different things. And look, I'm happy to be called lots of names um, by people that decide that that's their way of expressing their dissatisfaction with life. But yeah, the reality is we are in an interest rate tightening cycle. And how do you profit from that? Which is very hard. If you're someone that's looking down the barrel at a more expensive mortgage than what you had last month, it can be quite confronting. Um, but there are mechanisms, TBT, which is a U, U, an American exchange traded fund that we've traded. Yeah, and, and, and over the last sort of eight, nine months, again, that's something that's gone from um, you know, relatively low levels, single digit levels, uh, yeah, up to sort of around 19 mark and back down to around 15 at the minute. So it's more than doubled in value and it's an exposure to rising interest rates. So there's a fundamental view that you can actively invest in, and it is active. There's a decision to get in because the news flow has moved into step with, with that particular instrument. And there is a time technically to get out of that trade too. So it's not a long-term holding that you're going to be holding for the next three or four years. It's a very specific exposure for a very specific reason. And I think exchange-traded funds have gone an awful long way to opening the door to those kind of opportunities for retail investors where you don't need to be running a hedge fund, which I've done, or, or working on a trading floor or, or any of those sorts of things. You can actually do that very, very easily these days with, with trading uh, platforms. Now, the analysis behind that, as I say, it's more fundamentally driven. You're still going to want to have a skill set. It's not anywhere near as commanding and demanding of your time as some of the shorter term strategies because you kind of set your trap, you monitor it. It's rather like your lawn. Once the seeds have come through and they're growing, you don't watch it every day, literally watching grass grow. You can just go out there once a week and check that things are moving along. Um, so you can be a little bit more hands off, I think, with, with, with your time input on there. But again, 
when you get to the sort of level that you're happy to take profit at, and this is you know, the hardest thing for most investors, Mitch, particularly when they're starting out, is just getting started. Hence the question, is now a good time to do it, which it always is, it's always a yes. The hardest thing is to get started, but once you start and you've bought something, the next hardest thing is knowing when to sell it and take profit. And again, that does require a level of discipline, slightly different from the discipline requirements in the more active approaches in markets. But nonetheless, you've got to have a target in mind and you've got what you came for, you take your profit and it may go up further, but you're never gonna go broke making a profit, try it. You know, if you if you, pull, if, yeah, if you make 20, 30% out of something and it goes up, 40%, you missed out on the last 10, so what? You, you got what you came for, you got the easy money out of it. Um, and I think that sort of active trading approach is very much like that. And that's how I work with my clients in uh, on a more personal basis in those type of thematic cases where we're going into this, it's done what we need, let's move into this now to get what we need to move into this. And so you might be updating your positions maybe weekly or fortnightly or, or, or maybe a little longer in some cases, but yes, it is active, but not, not, not at the pointy end in terms of time commitment. Excellent rundown there, AB. And I know yourself included, as well as your private clients, have all made a killing the last six, six yeah. months, particularly. It's been all right. It's been good. That's a humble <laughs> response. Now, moving to the fourth and final quadrant, AB, is long-term investing. Mm. And I guess that this is a fairly straightforward one. It's a buy and hold strategy when we talk long-term investing. A good buddy of mine down in Melbourne, Ponty, for mm. example, has asked, mm. when you're long-term investing, is it ASX 20, ASX 200, is mm. it the S&P? I mean, how do you actually define what you want, where to go? Yeah, th that's a really good question. And I think the notion of longer term investing being the lowest risk way, oh, just buy and hold for the long term, it always goes up. And within markets, markets typically do go up, not always, but they do on the whole go up. Uh, but individual stocks within there become a little bit harder uh, uh, to, to pick. So, you know, the two examples I always go back to, and it's a, a low blow, uh, AMP or Telstra. If you've owned AMP over the last 25 years, you've lost 90% of your capital. If you've owned Telstra over the last 20 years, um, the argument that you'll no doubt be having is, no, no, I receive my dividend every year. I've had a great income, thanks very much. And that's true, you have, but your capital account has effectively gone backward over that period of time, particularly when you look at you know, what you could buy for four bucks 20 years ago versus what you can buy for four bucks today. So, you know, you have gone backward, you just don't particularly want to admit it, and that's okay. Um, and that's the risk sometimes of holding stocks on the other side of the coin, of course, if you bought CSL, uh, you'd be laughing literally all the way to the bank. So there are success stories in there too. Now, the notion of long-term investing is that it typically is more passive than longer-term trading. So you buy something and you're just gonna put it in the bottom drawer uh, and see how she goes over time. And to that end, if you are taking that approach where you do wanna be hands-off as an investor, there's a lot of responsibility to make sure you buy the right kind of stock. So rather than get on that rabbit hole and run the risk of, you know, let's face it, if you with the big four banks in Australia, you know, there's been one massive standout of the four. The other three have been the sort of bridesmaids uh, in, in, in that running order. And if you'd invested in one of the bridesmaids instead of the bride, you, you would have made some money, but nowhere near as much as you could have made if you'd have backed the right stock. So for someone that's new or doesn't have a high level of skills and wants to be passive, I'd probably suggest not a managed fund because let's face it, you know, according to CanStar, over 80% of managed funds underperform the market over five years. So why would you sign up for that? Uh, instead, what I'd probably look at doing is either using exchange traded funds to build up either some sector exposure 
but that requires a little bit of management or better yet to just buy an underlying index uh, tracker. So you get pure market exposure. You don't have to think about, you don't have any individual stock specific risk because you're just trading the index itself. That's like an ASX 200 yeah, or an ASX S&P 200, like better right? shares or, or, or a SPY for the S&P 500 or the Qs on the NASDAQ and, 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 and sit it in the drawer. And don't look at it. If you're a long-term investor, you're not going to be looking at it because unless you're adding more to that position or others because you know, if you try and time the market, I'll just get out there and then when it pulls back, I'll get back in. You never get back in because you're too nervous to, to do that. You wait till it's gone past where you got out anyway. So I think Tony Robbins talks a lot about that in, in one of his books, um, I think Unshakable, specifically about trying to time the market, which for most people is not something that's practical because they simply don't have the skills or the time to do that effectively. So yeah, good index tracker um, and, and that's going to give you that broad-based market performance, which, you know, if markets go up, let's say on average, you know, 10% a year, that's what you're in for if you hold it for 20 years. So would you take the approach even in, in that essence, AB, where let's say you get paid monthly, you put a portion of your paycheck mm. back into that ETF and you just hold, hold, hold for the long term? I think that regular savings philosophy is great, uh, you know, because that nest egg can grow. Yeah, and it takes a lot of pressure off your timing because to all intents and purposes, if you're making regular contributions, you're effectively dollar cost averaging, which is an industry term for adding more at different levels, I suppose. Um, so that also helps sort of mitigate risk a little bit for you. Um, and I'd be a huge advocate of that. You know, every month or every quarter, sling it in, at buy some more of it or buy an alternate ETF to give you a bit of diversification if that's that's what you want to do. Um, and, and, and away you go. And, um, you know, by the time you you know, need a chunk of money, get you buy a house or kids are going to school or uni or whatever it might be, then hopefully that nest egg has grown quite nicely for you. I think at the same time, you know, it probably is worth noting that there are times to buy and times not to. And people say, oh, well, why would you want to buy at the, you know, the, the high in the market? And there's no one with buying high and selling higher. You know, you're not trying to pick the exact high or the exact low. It's very, very difficult for most people to better do that. Um, so don't get too fixated. Oh, you know, it's fairly expensive in this market because if you're taking a 20-year view, it's it, it, these are just blips in the road over a 20-year view. Um, that said, if you do have a level of skill, and it's like anything, if you've got a high level of skill, typically you, you, you command a high level of remuneration. You know, come in the door with a certain set of qualifications, you get paid more than someone that doesn't have them. And, and, and in the same way, um, from a trading and investing perspective, if if you've if you've got a level of skill which not helps you time the market but gives you better timing in the market then that really can add significant value um, so you know you're not buying in um, you know to, 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 to the Nasdaq at an all-time high um, you're buying in on the pullback for example and that would probably make more sense sure maybe that's an excellent rundown of all of yeah. those those four areas there and I guess the moral of the story we're trying to stress here is that it's always a good time to be invested. Always a good time to always. get in. Always. Always a good time be, to get in. Bottom line. Even when you look back with hindsight, you know, what was I thinking? Um, you know, if, it, it, particularly if you're a long-term investor, that, that'll ride itself out. I'm not a big fan of the two bookends on that, you know, the day trading side of it and longer term, more passive investing. They're two that don't particularly ogre well with me and I've, I have done both. I think the middle two are probably where I sit. I like to be a little bit more active in what I'm doing so I can add some value with the skills I have, but then I'm also in a unique position where I've, I've got a lot of skill in that space that's that's, 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 markets, that's, right? that's what i do um but yeah i think it does add a little bit more value and, and, and takes a little bit risk off the table which is you know for many people something that's pretty important so but you got to find your own journey you know sit down as we said right at the start of the the, the podcast and work out what is it you're looking to achieve and if you're a long-term investor and you're picking up a fully frank dividend with a, a dividend reinvestment plan 
that might be your thing and if it is great stuff if it's in super it's incredibly tax effective for you and you're going to get more or less where you want to get to but uh yeah don't be don't be too one-eyed about all of these approaches there's always a bit to learn from the other groups and add that into the mix and if it helps you you know get a better outcome overall then uh, then it's done its job perfect way to finish ab thanks very much for your time today absolute pleasure anytime mitch there you have it guys make sure you give us a review and a rating and we'll look forward to hosting you next week